It's the WGN Radio Football Podcast. Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus both possess the qualities we're looking for in our team. Tough, gritty, smart, opportunistic winners. It was an easy decision for me. What am I about and what's my philosophy? We're going to build through the draft. We're going to acquire young, fast, and physical football players. And the last thing, the most important piece, is we're going to take the North and never give it back. Now, here's Kevin Powell. It's episode 30 of the WGN Radio Football Podcast. I'm Kevin Powell. Thank you for listening. Appreciate you tuning in. It is Super Bowl weekend. On this episode of the podcast, Josh Friedman from WGN TV join me. We'll get into plenty of Bears talk about the upcoming off-seasons, the, the coaching hires, all of that. We also get into the Super Bowl. I'll get Josh's pick. And most importantly, we got into food talk, talking about what we're going to be eating on the Super Bowl. That's towards the end of the podcast. But this is episode 30. Let's get to my conversation with Josh Friedman. Now joining me on the podcast is Josh Friedman from WGN-TV. Follow him on Twitter, Josh underscore Friedman. Covers the Chicago sports scene. We'll get into some Super Bowl talk as well. Josh, appreciate you jumping on. It uh, let's let's start with some Bears talk. I haven't really had a chance to get my thoughts on the new coaching staff, but I guess from hearing from Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus and seeing this staff being built over the past couple of weeks here, uh, I, I guess your initial reaction to the Eberflus and Ryan Poles hire. Yeah, you know, Kevin, another Ryan and Matt said how it's all. Oh, they're still searching for the wise, so they got to get that out of the way. But <laughs> um, it, it is a it is a new regime, and, and I think a, a new. Um, a new look at what the Bears could be in the future after the Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy experiments obviously fizzled out after that great first year with Nagy in 2018. Um, what stood out to me, you know, I, I, I like Ryan Poles um, as this kind of, you know, young, up-and-coming, offensive line, background thinker, where he is going to build through the trenches. He knows how to evaluate offensive linemen, defensive linemen as well which has been a huge bugaboo, especially on the offensive line for the Bears for you know countless years now. So um, I like that he comes from the Chiefs organization, was there through multiple general manager uh, changes, and so he was always rising up the ranks when the top was changing, and that tells me you know he's a valued uh, person when it comes to evaluation and uh, and not just scouting, but. Um, you know, knowing how to lead and everything you hear and read about him, very detailed, very organized, and for 37 to compose himself the way he does. Um, I'm sure some flashbacks to when Ryan Pace was hired as a young GM from one organization, but I think there are some, some very uh, different qualities about the two men. So polls intrigues me. I think that was a, a good hire. I would have liked to see him bring in other candidates besides the three that were pretty much handed to him on a silver platter by George McCaskey, Ted Phillips, Bill Polian, saying, hey, we like these three. And, and I'm sure it was like, oh, you like these guys too? Let's, let's kind of, you know, combine forces a little bit. But at the same time, I think the, um, the optics were a little strange, right? You, you, you pick the general manager, but you have three finalists already for head coach. And, and I'm sure Poles liked Eberflus all along, but I would have liked to see a couple more interviews done with Ryan Poles at the command already. Nevertheless, you know, Eberflus being the guy, Look, um, it remains to be seen, another first-time head coach, whether he can start bringing this franchise consistent success. But at the same time, I, I like that they went a little bit outside the box, meaning I like that they went with a guy who is a 30-year experienced head coach who has really 
chomping at the bit to get that head coaching opportunity. He's not an up-and-coming offensive mind like Matt Nagy where you say, all right, we got to pair that offensive guy with the quarterback. And that's the immediate reaction, right? And maybe they, they went from one end of the seesaw to the other like they've been known to do. It's Lovey and then it's Tressman and then it's Nagy or then it's Fox and then it's Nagy and back to the defensive side of the ball. But, um, you know, Eberflus strikes me as a guy who is all business, who is just a good coach, meaning like he is just focused on getting the best out of players. He's going to focus on being the CEO type, and he's going to let Luke Getze run the offense. And that's where the offensive, you know, play calling and scheme for Justin Fields will come in. Eberflus will be that leader that I think can bring in the best type of players. What he did to the defense in Indianapolis uh, is incredible. He came in and had nothing to work with bottom two or three defense in the NFL and made them into a consistent top 10 unit in its four years. Though. So hopefully they can replicate that. And, um, you know, so far, I think the hires are, are decent. Um, I'm curious to see what you think, Kevin, about the uh, the hires so far and about what Eberflus brings. Well, I was there for the press conference when Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles were introduced at, at Hallis Hall, and you could tell that Eberflus was very much prepared for the question about defensive play calling because obviously that was a thing here in Chicago with Matt Nagy when everybody was losing their mind when it was is Nagy calling the plays who's calling the plays just be a head coach it was a major failure of Matt Nagy was being a head coach was the in-game management do you go forward on force should you punt here when to throw a challenge all those sorts of things and we saw Matt Nagy buried in his play sheet and I mean it was a bad look for Matt Nagy he got to the point where he basically had to relinquish play-calling duties to an offensive assistant when he was brought here to be the offensive guy. So you could tell Matt Eberflus was prepared for that when he was asked, okay, you're the defensive guy, will you be calling the plays? And he pretty much immediately shot that down. He's like, my job's to be a head coach. So I think everybody liked that, appreciated that. You could tell he was prepared for it. I will say this, that and look, it's you know, it, there's always just so many overreactions in, in the in all sports related things, Josh. And everybody wants an answer: is this a good hire? Is a bad hire? We we don't know. Obviously, it's going to take a few years before we know if this was a good hire, if these were good hires or a bad hire. Um, I will say that after hearing the coordinators talk this week, including Luke Getzey, the offensive coordinator, who will be calling the plays and working very closely with Justin Fields. Luke Getzey, of course, coming from the Green Bay Packers, where he worked with. Aaron Rodgers. I think after hearing him, t- I, I think I had more optimism uh, following Luke Getze's conference call with reporters, more so than anything I've heard so far from the new regime. Because it was clear that he, again, to going back to Matt Nagy, part of the frustration was that it was like, I mean, we heard Matt Nagy say, right, it takes a couple years to learn this offense. And everyone's like, why should it take that long? And Luke Getze's like, look, uh, you know, you guys, you know, people are alluding to the playbook and this and that. He's like, we're going to build around the quarterback. It starts at the quarterback. He 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 said that, and he he kept kept emphasizing that they are going to do what the players do best. You that that's like seems like a no brainer, right? Like take the talent you have, figure out what they're good at, right. and then build around that. Where for the past four years with Matt Nagy, it was like. We're going to do it that way, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. We're going to keep trying, keep trying. So hearing Luke Getze talk yesterday, I guess I had some optimism there. I felt good after hearing him talk and the way he approaches offensive scheme and play calling and developing a system. Yeah, it was round peg, square hole with Matt Nagy the entire time, right? It just, you know, and maybe they thought Mitch Trubisky was going to be someone that could run a Patrick Mahomes Chief-style offense, um, but... 
you know, they obviously that didn't work, and they never really had the personnel around Mitch either. They didn't have a Tyreek Hill. They didn't have a Travis Kelsey. So you can, you know, come from the Andy Reid tree and think it works because you have that type of talent and you, you move it to Chicago when it doesn't work. So I agree. I liked what Luke Getty said about fitting the scheme to the players. Now, it is easier said than done, right? I'm sure they have in mind what they want to run, how they want to play. Um, we spoke with Joe Moorhead, who was Getty's coach at Akron, when uh, he led as the quarterback at Akron. Um, Getty, that is, led them to a MAC championship uh, way back when in, like, 2005. Um, obviously, had nice things to say, and we asked him, you know, I asked him, hey, what kind of offense can we expect from Getty? And, it's, you know, he said it remains to be seen. There's West Coast elements of the passing game. There's some zone run scheme as well. And, and I took that as similar to what he said yesterday, Getsy, where he's not married to one type of scheme, and he has learned from different guys. He's, co- he's coaching the college level. Mississippi State was the offensive coordinator. Moorhead was calling plays then, but um, Moorhead has had a, a great track record of offenses going from Penn State to, to Mississippi State, and now uh, he's back at Akron. So um, I think Getsy has that. He has learned from Matt LaFleur in Green Bay. So it will be a challenge for him to be that first-time play caller, but he is just focused on that as the offensive coordinator with Eberflus as the head coach and Alan Williams as the defensive coordinator. So, um, yeah, I, I think Getsy said some good things. Um, number one to me, though, is what kind of talent can they bring in, right? Because the roster is going to really have to be not completely – Overdone or so, so uh, I, I wanted, revamped, yeah, I want, but, but it's going to have to be. There's going to be a lot of change, uh, Kevin. Right? Yeah, and that, that's what I was going to get to next. If you, if Josh Fryman had to build a to-do list for Ryan Poles this offseason in order of importance, mm-hmm. what would it be? What's the top priority, and where would you target if you had to say Ryan Poles, this, 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 and this should be your priority to-do list this offseason? That's a that's a great question. I would say number one offensive line, and I mentioned it with Poles and his background, I feel confident that he could bring in offensive linemen through different means, whether that's the draft, which obviously they don't have first-round capital, but you have some middle-round picks, maybe they can accumulate more by trading back um, through the free agent and, and trade market. The Bears have never really, I felt like, been too aggressive when it comes to offensive line and really focusing on that as the priority. So if they can get, um, and, and who knows how they feel about Larry Borum, and Tevin Jenkins, that could also go a lot into the evaluation. They could look at them and say, you know, they're they're more like middling backup types of, of tackles. We want to get a pure left tackle in here to protect Justin Fields. We want to get a, a stud center or guard. Maybe they don't feel great about Cody White here. James Daniels is a free agent. So I think offensive line, number one. Number two to me, and maybe it's just recency bias, seeing these teams in the Super Bowl, but I, I think an alpha wide receiver would be so important for Justin Fields. Look what Jamar Chase did to elevate Joe Burrow. They were a good team offensively until Burrow was was, um, sidelined with a knee injury last year, but they were incredible with that connection, and and it's that LSU connection with Burrow and Jamar Chase. And a lot of people skeptically said, don't draft a wide receiver with that pick in the first round in the top six for the Bengals. And they said, you know what, we're going with the best talent, Jamar Chase, over an offensive lineman. And it paid off because Chase obviously won the Offensive Rookie of the Year and last pe- night. And people ripped well. them for that, Josh. They were they like, they them. need That's offensive insane. line yeah. help. And like, yeah, okay, since he definitely is going to prioritize offensive line this offseason, no doubt they need help. But I remember them selecting Jamar Chase and everybody mm-hmm. losing it. It was trashed. It, right? Yeah. It was yeah. trashed. Yeah, it was and like, the hey, dude put up a monster school. year. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So to me, 
Um, I think getting, because you're losing Allen Robinson, I think we can pretty much say that yeah. that marriage is over. I think um, you're going to move on from him. And I like Darnell Mooney, don't get me wrong, but I still think he's best served as a complimentary piece. Yeah. I think he's uh, a deep threat, a guy who uses his speed, but I think a pure number one wide receiver um, can really, really go a long way to this team. And, and, and third, I would say secondary help. You know, I think linebacking core as well. You have Roquan Smith, but moving to a 4-3, who, who, who are going to be around him? You know, I think Danny Trayton is done here. I think Alec Ogletree was, was a nice piece to get off the street last minute and be serviceable, but I think you got to get younger and faster in the middle of your defense. And in secondary, you know, well, what does Eddie Jackson look like now with a guy who, who's not going to tolerate less than 100% effort, right? Um, what, is this, what, is the, what do the cornerback positions look like? Um, so I think there's some, some questions uh, you know, on the back four, uh, really the back seven, you could say. Um, so to me, I'd prioritize offensive line, a stud-wide receiver, and then the secondary. Yeah, I think Jalen Johnson's going to thrive in this defense. We, we know here in Chicago with that 4-3 cover two, I, I don't think it's going to be exactly like that lovey cover two, but I think there's concepts there. And we know how much like a guy like Peanut Tillman, who's a bigger defensive back, can really thrive in a system like that. But I completely agree. After Jalen Johnson, there's pretty much nothing but question marks. I, uh, Alan Williams is the new defensive coordinator. In his press conference yesterday, uh, he was asked about Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack. Now, look, in, in an ideal world, you get a n- next year you have both of them, and Quinn gives you a year like he gave you this season, and Mack's fully healthy, and that's all great. I'll ask you this, Josh. Do you think both Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn will be on the Bears roster this upcoming season? I would say say yes at this point. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure there's too much t- money tied up in, in uh, especially especially Quinn, but definitely Max contract because they've always kicked the can down the road, right? Where they have you know given him these different type of contract bonuses to get the money in front and then push the salary cap um, down the road and years later in his contract to actually go against the cap. So those are coming up now. And again, Ryan Pace left the Bears uh, in a pretty tough predicament when it comes to that. They're not, they're not totally stuck in the woods like the Saints and, and the Packers where they're like $45 million over the cap right now. Um, that's not at all the case with the Bears, but um, they'll have to get a little creative to, to get some because it's not just a couple players they need. We've talked about it. They need a lot of depth right now. Yeah. Um, with Khalil Mack, you have to bank on him getting healthy and still being able to produce at a Pro Bowl level, which – he was amazing in 2018. He was really good in 2019. The last couple of years combined with injuries and maybe just getting up there in age, he's taken a few steps back. Um, Robert Quinn, for as great as he was, he was terrible his first year. So you have those questions of, is he going to be the Robert Quinn of 2020 or 2021? Um, with those two as your cornerstones in this 4-3 scheme, though, you, you like where you start there. Um, do you think Bilal Nichols takes another step up in the middle? Eddie Goldman as well, because you're probably losing Akeem Hicks. So I would say yes that those guys are still on the opening day roster. But, again, nothing would really surprise me as far as this new regime taking a, uh, a look at this team with clear eyes and saying, all right, what do we actually need to do? Are they going to say we need to completely revamp things and go with a rebuild approach? Or do they say, hey, we have some talent here. Let's start building around Justin Fields. And that's the other curious thing, Kevin. How, how do they feel about Fields, right? Because they haven't really mentioned him by name too often. It's been hey, the quarterback, we're building around the quarterback in this kind of broad term. And they've been asked 
directly about Justin Fields, and then they talk about him. But otherwise, I, I don't know if you're reading too much into it or if we are as the media uh, are reading too much into it, whether or not they, they truly buy into Justin Fields. After, obviously, just one year, that was up and down. Yeah, I, I am glad you mentioned that because listening to the you know the introductory press conference of Poles and Eberflus, I was like, all right, like when they were asked about Fields, they weren't gushing about him. They didn't say, like, he's our guy or anything like that. But – I think they're being smart about it, like going with a fresh set of eyes on it, like the way Matt Eberflus said. And the fact that Justin Fields was there for it, I think, you know, said something, right? Like he was there for the introductory press conference. I think it probably benefits benefits them to kind of hold back a little bit rather than be like, he's our, he's our franchise quarterback and this and that. I, you know, the, the benefits of that, saying that publicly, I don't know what they are, but I don't know how you wouldn't. I mean, if I, you know, I said this before the the interviewing process. My first question in all of them basically would have been, "What do you think of Justin Fields?" And if they were out on him, I, like mm-hmm. I think that would have given you a lot of answers to the hiring process, right? Like, do you believe in Justin Fields? Okay, you don't. All right, well, what are we going to do about that? How do you go about fixing that? Do you believe in Justin Fields? Okay, what? How are you going to go about building around him? Because it's obviously all about the quarterback. We'll get in the Super Bowl in a second, but. I think, you know, seeing the Bengals turn around in one year after having a franchise quarterback like uh, Joe Burrow, you know, I think that gives everybody a little bit of optimism. It's like, all right, look how quickly the Bengals turn this around when you do actually find a franchise quarterback. Um, Before we get to the Super Bowl, Devin Hester, were you surprised? Not a first ballot guy. Uh, You you certainly could have made the case for Devin Hester being a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's going to get in eventually. Um but were you surprised he didn't get in on first ballot, or were you kind of expecting that? Yeah, I guess I was a little surprised. The NFL uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame voting is weird. You know, it, there's a lot of guys that you expect, hey, they're no-brainers, first ballot guys that don't get in for a little bit. You know, Chris Carter, he got in on his sixth try in the NFL uh, Hall of Fame, and you look at his career as, as one of the best receivers ever, and you're like, why did that take so long? <laughs> Torrey Holtz, who has more yards in the 2000s than Randy Moss, and Terrell Owens is still not in the Hall of Fame. Now, I'm picking some wide receivers because that's guys you know who are casual fans or, or sports fans. Obviously, they know the playmaking type of, of guys, the, the position players best. And so you think, oh, those are for sure Hall of Famers. Not in yet. Andre Johnson didn't get in his first time last night. Um, Demarcus Weir, who one of the best um, sack artists, uh, outside linebackers of his generation, also first-timer last night, did not get in. So the NFL... I don't know whether they're in, the guys who vote are in that room try to reward players who have been there for a long time on the ballot and haven't gotten in yet. Because if you noticed last night, there were a lot of guys that were long retired that got in uh, finally. And um, Devin's, Devin's time will come. I don't think anybody can legitimately argue that he is not a Hall, a Hall of Famer because he was the best to ever do something in the National Football League. And that is being a return man, both kick and punt returns, and changing how defenses and special teams units had to plan around him. He was such a weapon, and we saw it for so many years in Chicago right away, right? His rookie season, incredible there, um, helping the Bears make the Super Bowl, then the Super Bowl opening kickoff run. I mean, indelible moments, not just in Bears fans, but in NFL fans um, watching lives. And to me, when you are clearing away the best to ever do something in the league, you should be a Hall of Famer. He'll get in. It might take a little bit more time than Bears fans hope, but you know, uh, it's just kind of the way the, the voting process works in the NFL. He'll get in. It's incredible what Hall of Fames have become, and it's such a lightning rod. Obviously, we know in baseball, and then Hester doesn't get in last night, and people are losing it on Twitter. I'm like, 
The Hall of, <laughs> Hall of Fames in general just exhausts me at this point, Josh. I just think because of the way people get so angry. I'm like, all right, he, you know, I can go on a whole rant about yeah. Hall of Fames. But, like, if Devin Hester's no, I, in, in the Hall or not in the Hall, it's not going to change the way I view his legacy. I'll put it that way. You know what I mean? Like, once he get in, I'm not going to be like, oh, now he's a Hall of Famer. Now I really think he's great. It's not going to change the way I, I view Devin Hester. It's more for the players and and – you know, justice in that part. So I, he'll get in eventually. Let's get on to the Super Bowl. I'll get right to it. Your pick, who you like in, and why? Yeah, you know, we've been talking about it on our GN Sports Show all week, uh, giving some some fun prop bets, which is always uh, which Gatorade a color are you going with? Game. What's the Gatorade color uh, going to be? I, I haven't dabbled in Gatorade color yet, though. I don't know. <laughs> I think purple is up there. Uh, you know, I think or- who, who orange is the with? favorite right now. I'm going with purple. Is it orange, okay. purple's the long shot. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I'll get that in the weeds. Uh, I like more of the, the actual game uh, props, but no, it's always fun to do that stuff, national anthem over-unders and, and all that. Um, I, I, I'm going with the Rams. You know, I the Bengals story has been incredible, but when you look at the numbers and the teams versus each other, just the, the amount of talent the Rams have, they're at their home stadium, and you could say whether that matters or not because the crowd is all corporate and, you know, they don't really have a great home field advantage anyway, but they're sleeping in their own beds, all that stuff. They, they don't have to travel the two weeks there. They've been in the game, you know, I know some different personnel, but they're in the game pretty recently in 2018. Sean McVay gets another crack at it. Um, I think there is pressure on Matthew Stafford at his age and his first year in L.A. to do this, whereas Joe Burrow is, is a little bit playing with house money, and you can really never bet against Joe Cool because he has just been so clutch. But all that said, I think the Rams are just a little bit too talented, and um, I think they get it done. And I, I do think it's close. I wouldn't necessarily lay the points. If you are betting it that way with the four, four and a half, I think the Bengals can keep it within three, four points. And um, ultimately, I go with the Rams to win. I'll give you a score here. Let's go with uh, let's go with twenty-seven, twenty-three. So right at the four-point mark. I like it. Yeah, I think if they can, we know how dominant you know. Aaron Donald is and that that front for the Rams. If they can if they can limit the disruption in the backfield for Joe Burrow and give him some time, I like Cincinnati. I'm picking Cincinnati to win. I can't say no to Joe. I'm I just I'm all on the Joe Burrow train. So let's just hope it's a fun one. Any uh, good Super Bowl game day uh, menu uh, items you got going, Josh? Do you have a staple for your Super Bowl food? Yeah, you know, I, I was telling you right before we we went on, I was yeah. out grocery shopping, uh, you know, doing a little bit for the Super Bowl. I'm um, just something small, going to a buddy's house, and um, I found this recipe last year, and I'm going to make it again. It is a coffee rub tri-tip beef nachos. Oh. So basically, it's really simple. You just take like a like a instant espresso coffee, you mix it with some different spices, and then you put that rub on a tri-tip beef, put it in the oven uh, for, I don't know, 30 minutes if you like uh, medium rare, and then you cut it up, slice it up, you, you bake your nachos, you put whatever condiments and toppings like on it and boom you got a, a really nice kind of uh, appetizer i have your app i will say which is the way to go i think the super bowl you, you get your all your, your your dips and your you know your wings and kind of it's like a, a smorgasbord of sides to me i think is the best way to do it because you always want to just be reaching for something you don't want to fill up too much yep. early on because you, you got a long game a lot a lot of, a lot of time to kill so that, that's for me i don't know what are you doing so yeah i'm just going to be staying at home kind of cooking a lot just for the two of us but i'm also going to attempt some some uh nachos i'm going with short rib nachos josh i've got some uh, okay so similar very similar. very similar but like here's my thoughts on nachos i'm gonna go on a nacho rant here for you josh like the nacho <laughs> platter itself looks great the idea of it is great 
but it's flawed. There's always a bare chip buried in the middle of it. it can kind of get soggy. It, it looks great, right? You got guacamole, sour cream, your cheese, all that stuff. So I'm going to do, I've been to a restaurant, a couple of restaurants before where they basically plate each individual tortilla chip. So I'm going to cook down the short rib, shred it, and then I'm going to put a little bit of short rib on the chip, cheese, hit it in the oven, and then put a little bit of uh, a, a pickled jalapeno on top. Very simple. So each individual nacho chip Wow. It has the toppings on it. I like it. Very, very detailed. And, again, if it's just for you you and your girl, that's that's a lot of detail to go into something uh, where I'm sure you guys can easily just uh, take apart the nachos. But I'm always, I always think about, have you ever seen the movie Saving Silverman? You remember that? Yes. Early 2000s? Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a scene in that movie where they're eating nachos, watching a football game, <laughs> yes. and, and one character picks up the nacho, and it's basically like all the All the cheese. Like, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's still one nacho, man. They're stuck together. <laughs> so you're right. It can get a little a little precarious if you uh, you do have a, a big group of people who are fighting for the nachos, but I like your technique. I'll have to take that into account. Nachos are great either way. Josh, uh, thank you for jumping on. Hope you have a great Super Bowl, and uh, I'll talk to you down the line. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk soon. All right, that's episode 30 of the WGN Radio Football Podcast. I'm Kevin Powell. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Brian Alzheimer and Ernie Skatton for their help producing the podcast. And thanks again to Josh Fryman for joining me. Have a great Super Bowl weekend. I hope we have a great game. I do think the Bengals pull it off. We'll find out Sunday night.